Recovery Elevator, episode 208. You know, I feel like there was more than a few rock bottom moments, but I don't think I realized they were rock bottom until after the fact. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Crystal. She's from San Antonio, Texas. She's 30 years old, and she's been sober for 84 days. In her interview, she talks about how she lost control during her drinking. Guys, this is a special podcast episode because it marks four consecutive years of podcasting. And, and just wait, there's even a new closing line that I'll be using from here on out. But before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group, which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook, which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. Holy buckets, this is four consecutive years of podcasting, 208 straight Mondays in a row. Wow. Thanks for sticking with me. How did I do it? Just like sobriety, wait for it, one episode at a time. Sorry, you guys saw that one coming. In episode 209, I'm going to cover the four most important themes that I have discovered while doing this podcast. That's going to be a great episode, but this one is more important. Here we go. Let's get started. Recovery Elevator saved my life. Well, let me first give credit to where credit is due. My standard poodle named Ben kept me around long enough for Recovery Elevator to be created. So thank you, Ben. The accountability RE created then saved my life. The people who joined the community saved my life. I understand the strength in numbers. I don't think I'd be here without it. People email me all the time saying I saved their life. I remember the first time I got this email. I was blown away. And then another email came. Then another. I used to print these emails out and put them on a corkboard. And then the corkboard filled up. So I got a bigger corkboard. And then that corkboard filled up. I love getting emails. But I no longer print any of them out. You know why? I realized I didn't do anything. I didn't save anyone's life. I can't take credit for any of this. I didn't do it. I'm not the one to be thinking. I had a moment of clarity and got sober. Two months later, when I knew I would drink again if I didn't do something different, I had another moment of clarity and I started this podcast. Let's cover a moment of clarity. That's when a thought from universal intelligence slips past the ego. You've heard this moment of clarity so many times on the podcast. It can come from anywhere at any time. Sometimes it has to come when our mind and bodies are so beat to shit from alcohol that the egoic structures are weakened just enough to let a conscious thought through. The conscious thought of this podcast wasn't my idea. It just came to me. I remember exactly where and when it was when it happened. It wasn't my idea. 
for just long enough, I was in line with an intelligence greater than my own, thus the birth of the podcast and something much more than I could ever have imagined, something more than me, something that can't be stopped. Even if I stop the podcast, several other blogs and podcasts have been started since RE, and I can't take credit for any of them either. It wasn't my idea. None of it was. This conscious thought, which wasn't mine, has saved lives, and others are doing the same. And I wasn't the first either. Bill and Dr. Bob kickstarted this movement in 1935. Recently, I had another conscious thought, aka not my idea, and watch out for these conscious thoughts because they are powerful. I've struggled with how to grow RE. I've dumped money on Facebook ads, purchased podcast advertising slots, ad space on different websites, and more. Sure, those kind of work, but I'm shifting my focus. Here's the new plan. I'm building RE from the inside out, and I need your help, which I'll get into a second. But first, you know who else had a conscious thought? You. Unfortunately, the majority of people don't quit drinking. They unconsciously continue drinking until the end. It's a long, painful process, but people do it blindly all the time, but not you. You've already made it further than 90% of the people. No joke. You had a conscious thought. I know this because you're listening to this podcast right now. Here is where I need your help, and let me be clear. This is not about money, memberships, download stats, sponsorships, or any of that stuff. This universe has been kind to me, especially kind to me in sobriety, and has given me all the resources I need. Again, this is not about the money. We are going to build this from the inside out. Who is we? Me and you. You is in the person who is listening right now, Jennifer. Well, I mean everybody, but I really wanted to freak out a couple people named Jennifer right now. All right, let's continue. We are going to build this sober movement from the inside out. And here's where I need your help. You have to talk about this. You have to walk this path so others can follow. It can be something this simple. We all know someone who struggles with alcohol. Simply tell them you decided to quit drinking. Don't ask them about their drinking. Don't question how much they drink or put them on the defensive. Just tell them you quit drinking or you're trying to quit drinking. Take it a step further and post it on your Facebook page. You have the responsibility to save lives. Yes, you. You might be thinking, me, Paul, you serious, man? I'm on day zero. I'm on day five. I'm on day 10. Me? Yes, you. You can save a life. You have that power. You might even save the life of someone who ends up having a kid who solves global warming. You see the reach of what I'm getting at here. This movement needs your help and it has to happen from the inside out. It can't come from government funded studies. It can't come from news stories. It can't come from advertisements on billboards. It has to come from the inside out. This is what Cafe RE is. Talk about this. Send an email to a friend. Hell, start a podcast. I've helped several people get their recovery podcast and blog started, and I know these people will do the same to help get yours started. You have to talk about this. Sure, I hope you mention Recovery Elevator in these discussions, but I don't even really care. Mention whatever resources you have found helpful. This is a movement that can't be stopped. And guess what? Whether you like it or not, you're part of it. Lives are at stake. Take a deep breath, put your fear aside, and realize this isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about going from an unconscious society to a conscious one. You still might be a little uneasy about this. I, hey guys, I, I get it. I understand. Believe me, there was a day when I uploaded an episode to iTunes that said, Hello world, my name's Paul. I'm an alcoholic. I quit drinking. 
I remember saying to myself, oh, fuck, what have I done? I had trouble sleeping for the first three months. No joke. So what happens next when we talk about it? Listen to this next part carefully. This is where it gets neat. It may surprise you. I've heard countless stories of people telling others, posting their stories on Facebook, creating blogs, podcasts, and I've yet to hear one bad outcome, not even one. And let me recap my experience. I came out about my struggles with alcohol, and now I'm traveling the world with other badass recovery warriors. I'm going on a trip of a lifetime in Asia in January 2020. Hell, I'm making a career out of telling people. This decision to talk about this has created a life I never dreamed of. And that's not a canned pitch. It's the truth. Guys, I'm not lucky. I am not special. In fact, one time I had a girlfriend's mom meet me. And later she told my girlfriend, uh, Paul, that's him? Is he funny? Yeah, and you guys know my jokes. They're not even that funny. I'm not special. I just listen when I got a sign and I know you will too. I've received hundreds of emails from people asking how they can help. Here's how. Talk about this. Help me build this movement from the inside out. It has the power and it will change the course of history. I promise you, you have that power. Wow, there was some energy in this podcast episode. I love it. Okay, now before we hear from Crystal, let's hear from Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Recovery Elevator podcast free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at elevator.robinhood.com. Again, that's elevator, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R dot robinhood.com. Crystal, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Paul? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And Crystal, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Currently, I've been sober. It is 84 days to date. Fantastic. And before we hit record, you mentioned you started your journey January 2018. So I'm excited to talk all about that. But before we get any further, Crystal, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, definitely. So I am from San Antonio, Texas. I'm actually a lifestyle and transformation coach. Um, So I help guide and mentor women, you know, just to get to a healthier lifestyle with um, fitness, nutrition. And then just recently, I've actually been helping women just kind of stay accountable with changing their relationship with alcohol. And I'm also a lash artist. So I do that too. I'm 30 years old, uh, recently single. And as far as what I do for fun, um, I love working out and um, just trying new things lately, just kind of getting outside my comfort zone and just kind of exploring who I really am, honestly. So you said you're a lifestyle transformation coach. Do you speak with your clients about your journey with alcohol? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm pretty transparent about it. So yeah, and it's definitely been helping me help others in that area as well. And I've noticed as the more that I share my journey, a lot of other women have actually came forward with with, you know, this problem as well. So it's been really great to kind of help them along their journey as well. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that. Two years ago, I did a podcast episode about how this journey is an asset in the workforce instead of a liability. And I just cringe when I get emails saying, I'd love to join Cafe RE, but I can't due to my profession. And I understand Mm -hmm. it. I get it. I I kept that secret close to my vest because I thought with the businesses that I own that it would negatively impact it. But the opposite happened with each and every one. And like you just mentioned, when you opened up about it, uh, your client would also open up, up about their struggles or maybe a family member. And I'm sure the relationship just deepens. Is that what you've seen? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they just found it really helpful just to connect with somebody and that somebody else was kind of going through what they were going through. So it's, yeah, it's a really powerful thing, I think. And yeah, Crystal, give listeners background with your drinking. Describe your drinking habits, how much you drank. Did you ever attempt to moderate? And please give us ages, time references in your life. And let's, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, as far as how much I drink, I mean, when I, I know when I was younger, I definitely would drink probably like Thursday through Sunday, sometimes even, even more during the week. I did eventually try to moderate just because it started affecting, you know, my work and just relationships and things like that. So I switched it to just, just partying on the weekends. But of course that just meant going hardcore on the weekends and just, I was just a really big binge drinker. So that was kind of my thing. And I remember kind of looking back, actually taking a break from alcohol. This was, oh gosh, probably like my early 20s. Because of all the partying, I was like, well, I gained a little weight. So I was like, you know what, let me kind of step back for a second. So I did kind of do the whole like sobriety thing for a couple of months, but just long enough to basically kind of get where I wanted to be physically. And then I went right back into it. But I would say, yeah, as far as my drinking habits, I definitely was um, a big binge drinker for sure. When you were a binge drinker, were you ever able to get like a week of sobriety or, I mean, cause I did the same thing. One of the rules I did was I, w- I would allow myself three days a week to drink on a calendar. And then eventually I would do six in a row and tell myself now to do eight in a row off. But I would just binge for those three days. I'd go three nights, huge in a row, like 15 to 20 drinks a night in a row. But then I convinced myself cause I'd go, th- I'd go four days off. Eventually, that whole system just went to shit like any moderation does. But were you able to get like a couple of days sober and convince yourself after the binges that, oh, maybe I don't have a problem? Yeah, definitely. I would say back at, at that moment in time, I don't think I even realized that I really had a problem. It's just because everybody around me, they were doing the exact same thing. So, I, you know, I thought it was normal. I honestly, at that time, I just stopped drinking just for the whole physicality of it because I was like, hey, like, you know, I gained some weight and things like that. But basically, at that time, it wasn't a big deal. So if I wanted to stop, I would stop. But that did change kind of as I went through my journey. And it did get a little harder. Um, you know, I would say this past year when I actually did realize I had a you know, um, a problem with binge drinking and, and try to stop. So, and that was going to be my next question. When did you first realize that you had a problem with, with alcohol or this was something that's no longer serving you? Was it a, was it a rock bottom moment? You know, I feel like there was more than a few rock bottom moments. I don't think I realized they were rock bottom until after the fact, but as far as when I realized I had a problem, I would say probably mm, maybe a couple of years ago, um, where I realized I, I did not, drink like other people drink and where I just couldn't have one and where people, you know, other people would have one or two and just be, you know, okay with that and have fun with that. I always wanted more, you know, it it never was 
it never was enough. And I always would try to get to this point where it's like, like I always had to be buzzed or drunk. It was never just one drink, if that makes sense. So I would say probably a couple of years ago in this past year is when I really realized that I had to make a change. So. Chris, Chris I, I just chuckled. You said, I could only just have one drink, if that makes sense. You, you know, you're talking to me right now. <laughs> I think everybody is nodding their head being like, yeah, we got it. Thousands of listeners. Right. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense, Crystal. Yes, 100% loud and clear. <laughs> and, uh, Warren, a podcast that came out early January, um, he had a fantastic line. And I'm, I'm not going to say it word for word because I forget, but it was something like, if I can control my drinking, I don't enjoy it. Oh, my gosh. How did it go? It basically was like the best you might be an alcoholic no, gift thing. Heard. Yeah. yeah. How, did he, how did he say it? It, it was like, you know, if, if I'm, um, if I'm in controlling my drinking, I don't enjoy it. But if I don't control it, yeah, it's... It's pretty, pretty profound, and I just totally butchered it, but it was a fantastic line. Yeah, basically it was no fun just having one. Like I had to go all in or nothing, and I, yeah, I wouldn't have fun unless I was drunk or at least buzzed. So. And, and talk to us more about that, what you said earlier. You said you noticed that you know, I, was ha- it was, I was having trouble having just one when my friends could just take it or leave it, right? Yeah, definitely. You want me to just kind of say like how, how I felt and how that kind of went or – yeah. Talk to us about when, what was that like? What was that feeling like? Cause I remember it, it was in my early twenties. I would see my friends with yeah. ease at the table. You'd be like, Oh, I got to work tomorrow guys. I'm good. And in my mind, there'd be an internal dialogue at face value. I was keeping it all wrapped up together at the bar, restaurant, wherever I'd have one or two on the face value. I'm good. But I would go home on the drive home and have this internal dialogue and I'd say, okay, we're going home, we're going to bed. And I lived with my parents for a year after college before I moved to Spain and bought the bar. And I lost this battle like 99 out of 100 times. I would go home and I would look up at the liquor and I would just start drinking. And I replaced so much high-end bottles of scotch. Gosh darn it, Dad, why do you have such expensive tastes in alcohol? Um, but that, that was a time where I'm like, wait a second, this isn't normal. When did you first have those thoughts in your mind to say, okay, I'm going to step back and look at this from a different angle. Yeah, definitely. I would say I try to start to moderate a lot more within these past couple of years. Um, when I did try to start, you know, to moderate that's I think that's really when I started to realize that I, that I did have a problem. You know, I would go out with friends and, you know, just like we just talked about, they would have a couple of drinks and I would always want more. So during those times, you know, I would go out, you know, with a couple of friends that could actually moderate their drinking. And then afterwards, I would still want to go drink. So there were even times where, you know, I went to the bar by myself, but I knew that other people, other people that were going to be there that I knew. So I kind of had like those two groups of friends, you know, I had the moderate drinkers, and I had the people like me. So and I realized when I would try to moderate, I would just try to have one or even, you know, just two. It's almost like an anxiety came over me when I just try to limit myself. So that was another kind of red flag for me that I realized that probably was not normal. And that normal drinkers don't experience either. So I guess I would say, yeah, that's when it kind of um, when I kind of realized that that I needed to make that change. Yeah, awareness is probably my number one ally (laughs) ally at this point in my journey. Mm -hmm. And I also recall a time in my journey, probably from 2010 to 2012, uh, when I was a dry drunk, but I I realized that it was easier to not drink than it was to drink Mm -hmm. just a couple, to try to moderate. And so it was just easier to not drink. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, I guess it's sobriety, but again, I was a dry drunk. And talk to us Mm -hmm. more about 2018. You said you started this journey in 2018. What Mm -hmm. lessons did you learn along the way? I mean, you had, you've got 84 days sober, which is awesome, but we're not going to throw away the other sobriety time that you had in January. I hate it when I hear people say, oh my gosh, it's all been a waste. I need to reset my sobriety calculator. Back to day one, 
Sure, you might be on day one if you're tracking continuous sobriety, but you're not on day one tracking the asses you've kicked in this journey so far. Yeah. So in January, yeah, in January, that's kind of when I started um, being sober curious and wanting to kind of try the sobriety thing. Um, I think it really didn't stick, honestly, because I I wasn't really doing it fully for me. Um, At that time, I was in a relationship and um, unfortunately, he he struggles um, with addiction. So um, he was actually going to be coming back home from his, you know, his treatment. So I knew ultimately that my drinking was not going to help the situation. So I decided that I needed to be sober in order to kind of support him. And but also I knew it was only going to benefit me in the long run. And so I was sober for about three months. And um, things kind of went downhill with him and I and, um, you know, his journey and things like that. And I think during that time, I kind of just lost my why and lost my reason as to why I was stopping, you know, drinking. And that's kind of when I fell back into my old habits. And that's when it kind of got I think that was really when I became even more aware that it was a problem because there was a feeling, there was a, there was a moment in time during this past year where I felt like I had no control. So that was, that was a scary part for me, but that's kind of where, where that started um, as far as January. Two things I want to talk about there. Why do you think you lost the why? I just think I wasn't originally doing it for myself. And I think I was kind of, I think I was aware that I, I had a problem and I think I was using his problem as an excuse for me to kind of get sober in a way. But I think when he kind of went back to what he was doing, it was almost an excuse for me to do the same. Would you agree if I said, because I've lost the why before in my journey, and that was when I was on willpower alone. Because the why, when we first start this journey, a lot of people start on January 1. The why is prominent. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because this, that, and you know, all these physical issues. I want to feel better. I want to be more rested. I want to lose weight, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But eventually, within time, the why fades because the incredible short memory that is in the alcoholism component, the addiction will mm-hmm. come start chirping to us our own voice and say, it wasn't that bad. And for me, I always lost the why because I was running on willpower. Do you feel that at some times in the last year that you were running on willpower alone? Yeah, I, de- I definitely think it was on willpower alone um, and trying to do it on my own was definitely what I was gotcha. trying to do. So. And then another yeah. thing you said is during 2018, you felt like you lost control and my heart, my heart sank and it went out for you right there because that's, that sucks. And I know a lot of listeners, does that make sense? Right. A lot of listeners are going to hear that and say, yes, it makes perfect sense. Cause I was sober for two and a half years and then I relapsed and relapse is a big part of my story, but I always told mm-hmm. myself like, ah, oh, you know, I, I did it before I can do it again. No pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. This just like, let's just kick my own ass mentality until I get back into it. But there's a point where I lost control and it was terrifying. And I I had to Mm -hmm. tell myself like, wait a second, like we might not get this again. And that feeling when I lost control and again, addiction is, is a lot about our ability to control things. And when we fully lose control, it's terrifying. And a lot of listeners are hearing this and just, you know, putting their hand on their hearts and saying, yeah, I've been there. It sucks. So tell me about Mm -hmm. this period in your journey when you felt like you lost control. Yeah. So like I said, I was sober for three months and kind of went back and forth. And I, I tried to do, you know, the mindfully drinking and it just it only lasted for so long until it didn't. So I came to a point where I was just like, you know what, I, you know, I, I think I want to stop again. Let's go ahead and do this full force. And um, just because I think when I first started too, I wasn't, I didn't have it in my head where I was going to stop forever either. And so when I tried to start or when I, um, you know, attempted to, to stop, you know, I would go for a few days 
And then it's like, after that third day, it's like, I just wanted to go drink again. And that's what I would do. And so I kind of went through this cycle for a couple of months. And um, that's when I kind of, I reached out, um, I'm really connected with my church. And I reached out to a friend of mine. And um, she kind of like helped me along that journey and just kind of stay accountable. But I just remember just, I, yeah, it was like, after the third day, it's like, I had just this urge to go drink. And it was almost uncontrollable. And I never, ever felt that way before. And it was, like you said, like, it was just, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. So I went through that cycle for a couple of months. And then finally, you know, I broke through it. And I've been sober since. So thank God. <laughs> you said something in there, Crystal, that <laughs> kind of pricked my ears, huh? Is you said this time when you, when you got sober, you, you didn't have the feeling that you were going to be sober for the rest of your life. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to me more about that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I first started this journey, I just, I guess I thought it was only going to be a temporary thing. I thought that I could take a break from alcohol and learn how to moderate it. So I kind of went back and forth with that. And, you know, and that's when I realized that I, that I couldn't moderate it. And I realized too, that again, like we talked about, it's just, I, I couldn't have fun with, with just one drink. Um, It was, it was just better to be sober than, than anything. You know, I just, I just, yeah, I just didn't have fun with just one drink. I couldn't be, you know, social, The you know, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to find my words here. <laughs> it's a, it, it's a, it's a tough question and it, it's kind of something, yeah. it's not a trick question, but it's a difficult mm-hmm. one to answer. And this might sound strange coming from a recovery podcast host. Me staying sober the rest of my life is a soft goal. It's at the very bottom of my goal lists. What's at the very top of my goal list is staying sober for today. And that's mm-hmm. where I also kind of put myself in a corner. I remember at six months of sobriety, uh, when I was going to grad school, I was talking to some, some fellow grad school students about it. And I was like, I'm never drinking again for the rest of my life. Like this is this is permanent. And uh, I ate those words about a year and a half later. Um, cause that can be a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. And when people email me, oh, they'll yeah. say, I just can't, I'm getting married in six months. I can't imagine not drinking at my wedding or life events. What happens at a graduation? I'm not going to drink. It's like, okay, well, Let's not compile all that into a massive ball and energy and fret about it right now. Let's just take it one day at mm-hmm. a time. Have you, does this resonate with you at all? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger goal that I set, I think that's, and I also think, you know, kind of for me, it was like focusing so much on not drinking made me want to drink more. So I really had to kind of switch my focus to into other goals that I had um, to kind of distract my, you know, distract my brain too. But definitely um, I had to switch it to just doing, you know, just focusing on one day at a time because otherwise, yeah, it, it, it definitely can get overwhelming for sure. And so let's talk about how you did it. How did you 84 days ago? How did you quit drinking? What did you change? What was it like the first day, the first couple of days, the first week? I mean, the first couple of weeks this past time around was was a little difficult. Um, but what really helped me was just being connected with people, um, just being honest with myself, and also kind of realizing that I couldn't really trust myself. So I, I had to have you know other people around. I you know, being connected with my church and friends that, you know, kind of knew what was going on, you know, letting my family know what was going on and just kind of having that accountability really, really helped. Luckily, I already um, was doing, you know, I already was working out a lot and things like that. So that really helped me kind of, you know, um, with that area. And then, yeah, just really shifting my focus because I really feel like I drink the most, honestly, when I was just so just focused on not drinking and just kind of just overthinking things a lot. And I do that already naturally. So it didn't help, you know, overthinking, um, you know, not drinking. So really shifting my focus really helped a lot too. But I would say, honestly, the community aspect and just yeah, being honest with myself and having other people kind of help me along the way has helped me the most. 
Crystal, the first couple sentences you had after I asked that question, you're dropping value bombs. <laughs> and you said, uh, connected with other people. And I was honest with myself. Number one, connection, huge theme. In fact, top five themes of the Cover Elevator podcast, honesty, accountability, another top five theme of the, of the mm-hmm. podcast. And so connection, connection with your church, connection with your friends, and you were honest and accountability. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how important those two themes are in your recovery. Yeah, they're, they're so important. I mean, because there's times where I feel like, you know, I've got this and I'm feeling great. And I mean, actually, just recently, just over the holidays, you know, it was a little tough for me, you know, just with all the transitions that I've been going through. And so like having those people there, I mean, I had to reach out to them. Ultimately, I knew that I was not going to drink because that's just not part of my story anymore. But, you know, you have those hard days. And for those hard days, we need to have somebody other than ourselves to kind of pour into. And, and what I've learned, too, it has to be more than one person. I I have so many different communities, you know, from health and fitness to church to just, you know, all my interests, you know, just to have those people around. It's, it's so, so helpful. And um, I just think it's important for us to realize, too, we don't have to always do it alone, you know, and, and we can, we can do it alone, but it's, it's just so much easier to not. So community yeah. is so, so important. And your 84 days cruised right over Thanksgiving, Christmas time and New Year. So congratulations. That's not the easiest time. <laughs> A year to get sober. There's, yeah. there's, there's no best day to get sober. In fact, today is the best day, but mm-hmm. yeah, congratulations on that. Were there any tough times where you had cravings? You kind of hinted on it a second ago, but mm-hmm. did you encounter any challenges where you're like, ah, you know what? I think I'm going to go back. Yeah, I don't, I think within these past 84 days, I never really felt like I was fully going to go back, but the do- thoughts definitely crossed my mind as far as like getting a drink. And I was like, oh, maybe I can just go out with my friends and not drink. But I just know putting myself in that position is, is just not going to, you know, help. It's not going to help me. But, um, yeah, I within the past three months, I would say probably Christmas and New Year's was a little rough for me, which I really wasn't expecting it to be, but it was more challenging than I thought. And then I think I'm still, you know, just kind of healing from the relationship that I just got out of, too. So um, not using what I used to use to numb and to not feel like it's, it definitely has been a challenge, but but I also look at it as kind of like a gift to, you know, that we're able to feel and just kind of get through those, you know, those feelings and those emotions and because the feeling always passes too. So, so I would say those would be the times that I was the most challenged. The feeling always passes. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> the wisdom you possess. Cause I did not possess that wisdom in my first 90 days <laughs> of sobriety. Yeah. When a negative thought pattern would roll in, I would say, this is the rest of my life. And that's just not the case. <laughs> In fact, this too shall pass was invented for just that scenario. So what have you learned about yourself in in sobriety and recovery these last 84 days? What have I learned about myself? Oh, gosh. Well, I learned that I could have a personality without being drunk. That's for sure. Um, I learned that I can be fun without being drunk. um, And I also learned that I can accomplish way more, of course, you know, without having... um, Without, without having that drink. And I learned that it's also, you know, it's okay to feel and it's okay to be down and it's okay to just, you know, be sober in general about it doesn't make me weird or crazy or whatever. And the last thing I realized is you don't, in, which I really, you know, kind of do in my coaching too, I like to let everybody know and just remind them that you don't have to be an alcoholic to go on a sobriety journey either. So those are kind of more than a few things, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And listeners, Crystal just answered like the top 10 questions that I get via email. I get a bunch of questions. And the big (laughs) one is, I don't think I can be myself without alcohol. And I asked myself this too, is like, Mm -hmm. is this even possible? Like, am I going to be a totally different person? Do Mm -hmm. I have, can I even go out ever again? 
And you just answered the first thing you said there was, yeah, you've realized you have a personality still without alcohol. You can be around people and have fun. Um, yeah, that is, that is so profound that we, we think we can't. And again, it's just, it's just years of years of habits and routines and thought patterns built in that we need to break through that veneer and just bust through it. And I'm so glad you have. And let's talk about another why you mentioned you lost your why, but let's talk about the why of why do you think you drink? Was there, was there trauma in your childhood? Was there neglect or was there, is there some sort of reason that, that alcohol for me, it was a coping mechanism. I got a huge hug mm-hmm. out of alcohol. What do you think the why is in your drinking? You know, um, I was thinking about that a lot this past year. And I was kind of looking back when I first started drinking. Like when I first took my first drink was probably back when I was like 15. And I remember that. And I think it was, I think it started with just um, it giving me that liquid courage, that liquid confidence just because I feel like I am kind of introverted and I think that just helped me in the social social scene and you know once I realized that I did I kind of just kept going with it and and you know a lot of my friends like they were all and it was funny because like a lot of my friends they were actually more outgoing than I was but they were all kind of binge drinkers too without even realizing it, I'm sure but I think it started with just you know, the social scene, having that confidence, that liquid courage. And then I think it just turned into a habit that I just kept doing. And then eventually this past year just um, turned into a coping mechanism for sure. So you think part of the why was you were just going with the norm? Yeah, I think that was part of the why. But I, then I think it turned this past year into really using it to, to cope and just to escape. Gotcha. And the why for me, you know, my body and my higher power, whatnot, will only put on my plate what I'm able to handle. I wasn't ready to explore my why until a couple years. And there's on this podcast that I say uh, that there was no trauma. Again, I was never sexually abused or beat. Um, but there, there was, it took me a couple of years before I was ready to start digging within. And I don't place any blame on anybody else. Everybody in my family or whatever, everybody did their best. But it took me a while before I was ready to start looking within because I was looking externally for the first couple of years in sobriety for the why. And it took me a while to, to, for, to, till I was really able to look within. And that was a powerful moment. And, and perhaps you're, you're already there with your why. I, I don't know that that, that journey is different from everybody. And mm-hmm. walk us through what a typical day is like in your sobriety with 84 days. How are you going to get 85, 86? Yeah, honestly, I think helping others has, along their journey has really helped me in that aspect. So just, yeah, just working with my clients daily. I mean, I don't even think they realize like how much they are actually helping me as well. But working out is a big part of my life. Meditating, just um, staying in the word, staying connected. Like that's something that I do pretty much every single day. Of course, every day looks different, but as like working out, talking to my clients and just staying connected with people has like have really helped me on a daily basis. And Crystal, how has your life changed without alcohol? Oh my gosh. Well, I can definitely say it's way better being sober and being conscious and awake and just knowing what's, you know, going on. Um, that's definitely a plus. Yeah, just I mean, there's nothing negative about it, honestly. I've accomplished so much more um just within my business and also learned so much more about myself, which is something that I wasn't exploring before. I think, you know, before I was just kind of just I don't know, on autopilot, you know. And that's no fun. So I really think the big difference would be me just kind of really just living life and experience life, experiencing life the way I feel it should be experienced. Yeah. When you said the word autopilot, the word unconscious came to my brain. And when we're on Mm -hmm. autopilot, we're, we're, we're going strictly on unconscious behavior, unconscious thought patterns. And you, then you just said after that, I feel like you're living your life. You made the shift from unconscious behavior 
to conscious behavior. And one theme that I'm big on as of late is stop thinking, start being, start living your life as a human being and stop overthinking everything. I know that's what I did. I know earlier in this podcast, mm-hmm. you said you think a lot as well. And so that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like what you said there. And as a life transformational coach, what do you see in your clients that are holding people back? Even though maybe alcohol is not a part of it, there's still a lot of themes. Mm-hmm. And essentially, like I could even be put in that bucket, like this podcast is a life transformation podcast type mm-hmm. thing. But what are you right. seeing that is holding, that are holding people back? What are the themes? I think people, um, for the most part, people get really comfortable and they like staying in their comfort zone. And I think limiting self-beliefs are a big one too. I think when people just get really comfortable, it's kind of hard to go outside that comfort zone and, and try something new. And a lot of things that I see too, is just like that autopilot again, you know, just people being on autopilot and not, not really being awake. Like I feel like so many people are just not awake and not conscious whether alcohol is involved or not. Um, I think, you know, we just get kind of lost in our daily lives and work and, you know, just that routine. So that's a common theme that I do see with, with, um, with my clients. And then as far as like my clients that I work with, you know, with changing their relationship with alcohol, you know, a lot of them don't even, you know, they kind of know something's wrong, but they don't, I guess they're a lot like me, you know, um, binge drinkers and things like that. And I think it's, you know, it's hard for a lot of women to, you know, kind of relate to the alcoholic to that, that term as well. You have comfort zone autopilot, unconscious, not awake. And that could have described me for a decade. And that thinking was just got me in a bad spot. And so I'm happy to make the transition to the other side of that spectrum. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a long work in progress. It's a journey, but the journey can be beautiful at the same time. And what are your thoughts on relapse with 84 days? What happens if you drink again? I think relapse is honestly a part of the process. And that's something I realized along my journey, um, just kind of going back and forth like that. I mean, I think it's, it's a part of the process, but I think it's important that we, you know, we reflect on it and learn from it, but also that we're not too hard on ourselves either. Cause I feel like that can, you know, lead us back into, you know, into where we were and old habits and things like that. But I really do think it's a part of the process. Yeah. They're not beating ourselves up that that's huge. That is huge. I see mm-hmm. in the groups back on day one and I did it personally. I kicked my own ass for so long. Uh, it's just, we don't deserve it. We, and, and, and then I can also be empathetic towards others, but I had trouble mm-hmm. being empathetic towards myself and feeling that empathy right. towards ourselves is, is, is critical in making mm-hmm. this change. And, and what's on your bucket list in recovery? Um, on my bucket list, I definitely want to travel more. That's for sure. And just kind of just staying outside my comfort zone. I just want to keep experiencing things and just yeah, just experiencing life. I mean, travel is definitely a big one, but yeah, just keep trying new things, having new experiences, having new adventures. Crystal, do you like elephants? Do I like elephants? Mm-hmm. Big, I mean, I don't big, they're really big animals, <laughs> weigh about two tons. Tusks. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it any better. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Love to travel. Sounds like you like elephants. We are going to go to Asia in January, 2020. I'd love to see you there. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. The, the retreat, right? Yeah, yeah. We're getting a sober travel yeah. itinerary. Almost finalized getting the dates. Uh, we've got the actually itinerary put together. Where we will be working at an elephant refuge. Uh, and like, actually, scrubbing elephants in the river might be part of our service project because they need baths too. Wow. And they don't have opposable thumbs. Yeah. So that's where we come in with large with large brooms, brushes, and uh, and soap. Yes. So, yeah, I'm right nice. there with you. Travel. That's awesome. 
and I don't want to jeopardize my sobriety and I want to connect the word connection, like you said earlier, with other like-minded individuals. Definitely put that in the back of your brain. And, uh, and Crystal, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Crystal, what was your worst memory from drinking? See, my worst memory, probably just remembering what it felt like to just wake up feeling ashamed, having like the hangover blues, things like that. And probably the moment when I realized that I couldn't control my drinking, probably the worst memory. Okay, that's the next question. Tell us about a time or the time when you realized you couldn't control the drinking. What was that like? Yeah, just the feeling of just not having the not having control. Um, the feeling that maybe I couldn't stop. That was probably that was definitely the aha moment that I realized that I had to make a big change. We're gonna swap out question three with a different one. You're 30 years old. What is it like to get sober at a younger age? You know, a lot of people in their 20s, early 30s, because it's so contemporaneous with drinking and being young in the culture. I get mm-hmm. it. What is it like being 30, younger, and and getting sober? It's definitely different, um, but what I found, what has helped me is honestly just connecting with other sober sober people. But yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I, I can't say that I really went out too much and where other people were drinking and, you know, I, I wasn't. I can't say I have too much experience with that, but I would, I would say definitely connecting with other sober people um, definitely has helped me with that. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? Definitely the community aspect. Um, podcasts like, like these have really, really helped me along my journey, just constantly on a daily basis, just kind of filling my, you know, my mind with positivity and also being around people, like-minded people has, is, is really um, resourceful for me and has been helpful. And what are some of the podcasts you listen to? Obviously yours. I listen to, I listen to Joyce Myers a lot and that's more of a faith-based. I listen to some business podcasts and then also my church has a podcast so I listen to theirs. Um, it's called Grave Top. So yeah, kind of have cool. an array of, of podcasts. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received? Probably maybe just being reminded that my feelings are valid and so is my story. And that also that I don't have to justify or explain myself to people for my decisions. And then, of course, just taking it one day at a time. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? I would say those that are in recovery, um, just stay connected and just know that it's a journey. I would say embrace you know, embrace the good days with the bad days. Um, you know, like we were talking about just being conscious and being awake. I just feel like that's a really big gift and that, um, you know, just, yeah, just embracing that and just know that there are going to be good days. There are going to be bad days and that it's a journey and your journey is not going to be the same as everybody else's. And that being sober isn't weird. Um, it isn't crazy. And, um, yeah, just to keep going and and stay connected. That's really, really important to stay connected and, and knowing that you're, you don't have to do it alone. Crystal, before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you're downloading multiple sobriety trackers trying to figure out which one works best for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) All right, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you come on the trip with us in Asia in early January or late January 2020. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. In terms of you might be an alcoholic if, it doesn't get much better than this. You might be an alcoholic if. Well, police were called to a Walmart in Texas about a woman drinking wine from a Pringles can. The headline reads, Women banned from Walmart after riding cart while drinking wine from Pringles can. You go, sister. We got a spot for you right here. Guys, I got dates and prices for upcoming retreats. Bozeman Retreat. Wednesday, August 14th to Sunday, August 18th. The price is $7.45, $6.95 for Cafe Members. 
Registration should be open by March 1st, and this retreat will be capped at 55 lovely recovery warriors. We've got the Asia Adventure. This is January 20th, 2020 to January 31st, 2020. You can do a one-time payment of $26.99 or three payments of $933. This will be $27.99. Registration should open around July 1st, and this trip will be capped at 25. Guys, this sober movement is going to be fun. Oh, yeah. And here's the new closing line. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside. I love you guys. And when I say from the inside, I mean your heart. 